Because uh, I want to kind of um, just review a wee bit. So Matthew ten twenty six. Just um, in context, we're talking about uh, the idea about being in court. You know, the disciples are going out to share the gospel. They're going to quickly deliver a message. But the problem is uh, they're going to re- receive a lot of opposition. And they're going to be accused of certain things. And so they're going to need to defend themselves. And, and we talked about that a lot last week. So we're moving on to part two. And the reality is, you know, uh, there is a real enemy. And the real enemy, it's a spiritual thing. You know, our, our battle is against a spiritual realm. But it also affects this world, this, the darkness of the world, the fallenness of the world. And it's a powers, authority, and whatnot, rulers, as we said. And we talked about Ephesians a little bit last week as well. And that element. But the ultimate, the real problem, the real enemy, the real difficult thing is the devil himself. But the thing is, he's not much of a threat because he's, he's a conquered foe. He's defeated. He's, there's nothing to be afraid of because our Lord is like way more powerful. And we talked about a little bit through Revelation, how Jesus, you know, he is the rightful owner of this world. He was the one who had the right to grab the seals, you know, grab that, that legal document, the scroll, and take the seals off. Only the rightful owner of the land can remove the seals or else, you know, it's a legal document, and Jesus, and and, and, and in that throne room, you know, Paul or John was weeping because oh, there's nobody worthy to open this legal document. And then the angel said, "No, no, no, don't cry, because look, there's Jesus." And Jesus walked right up, you know, described as a, a, a lamb that was slain, but yet is alive again, you know, but yet also the King of Kings and the, the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, you know, really majestic. And he came and he ripped those seals off, and he goes, "Here I am." You know, he is the rightful owner. And then later on, we see how Satan was defeated. And now this angel, not even God, not even Jesus, but an angel, a servant of God, a servant of Jesus, came and locked up Satan into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, who was called the deceiver. Um, so we see that really, and we reconcile really that it, it, it's game over, even before it even began, really. The devil, he's, he's conquered, he's defeated. And because of that, we need to trust that Jesus really is in control. He really is in charge and he has us protected. There is no real fear of the enemy. There's no fear of consequences from the enemy. Don't be afraid of them, he says. There's nothing concealed that will be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. In other words, there's nothing there. There's no real case against you. Your guilt, Satan might you know, accuse you and you might kind of feel a bit like, uh, but the reality is there's no real case against you. I've got your back. You know, I'm there with you. If I've given you the job, you do the job, and I've got your back. I'll protect you. Don't let this worry or guilt overcome you. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. Be brave. Speak up. Speak out. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Again, don't be afraid of those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. So this is a little bit of a um, background. It's a little bit of a, of a reminder of what we were speaking about so far. <clears throat> and then I also would like to, with that, yep, uh, look at Colossians. Because this is an important portion of scripture. I did talk about it a little bit again last week. But 
I kind of rushed through it. And I want this, these verses to really kind of come into our minds and our hearts and saturate us with the beauty of these verses. It's the cross. The, 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 the crux of Christianity is the cross, which is kind of a funny word because the crux means a cross. But basically it means everything. The focus point, the, the, the vision, the, everything. The foundation is what Jesus did on the cross because that's our hope. Without the cross, there would be no hope for us whatsoever. And that's why it says in Colossians 2.9, that for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is God. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. And through this Jesus Christ, who is fully God, we have been brought to fullness. We're given our full life, our full character, our full personalities. We are made full, complete, matured. Is another word we might use? Perfect, Okay. Jesus, he is the head over every power and authority. I, I, I bolded that because this is in context we're talking about. Who is the authority? Who is the power? There's a battle against the, the, the authority and the powers of the dark world. But really, Christ is the head over every power and authority. So really, Christ is in charge. He is what well, you would use the word sovereign, which means ultimately in control. Okay? Go on down to the second section here where it says, When you were dead in your sins... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having counseled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So there is this thing that the enemy wants to take hold over us, our sin, our imperfection, our shortcomings. But the thing is, though, legally, there is no case against us. Because that charge that condemns us has been nailed to the cross. So the enemy, remember, like, like, we, saw, like we saw in, in, in Matthew 10, just, just right there moments ago, he's going to want to bring his accusations against us. That's why he accuses the brethren. He's an accuser. He's a, he's, a, he's a liar and a deceiver. And he wants to accuse us. He wants to bring us down in public and even in our own hearts and minds. He wants to make us feel guilty about who we are and what we've done. But according to these scriptures, the real authority, the real power is Jesus, and he took our sins, nailed to the cross. He, he canceled, as it says here, canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. There is no real charge against us. We're forgiven, and it's the cross that does it. It's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross that does this thing. And he has actually disarmed, finishing it up here, disarmed there's no charge, there's no real weapon, there's no real thing that the devil or the enemy can do against us because we're his. We are Jesus. We belong to him. We're forgiven. All of these weapons that he can use against us, these powers and these authorities that they have, they're, they're, they're disarmed. They're taken away. He has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So just embrace these verses you know, these, these, these disciples are going to go out and share the gospel, and they're going to do a job. Jesus told them to do it, and he's, and he's going to expect them to be obedient to them. To be disobedient to God is a great sin. To be disobedient against Jesus is a great sin. But he's telling them, you need to be obedient, and you need to go out and share the gospel. You need to go out and do it quickly. You're going to be resisted. But I've got your back. Do you trust me? This is where faith comes in. Do you trust me? Total tra trust in Jesus. You're going to do it. But you know what? Jesus He's the Lord. He's the boss. He's, he's got all the power. He's over everything. Not just our camp, not just our side of the fight, but over everything. 
And so we need to reconcile this, this as we go on. And, and these disciples here who he's talking to, so they had to reconcile this. Very difficult job they have. Remembering also that they are valuable. We are valuable to God. We're very important. He's not going to use us as expendable soldiers of war. He's got us. He's, he thinks about us. He cares for us. He's got a plan for us. So we're, so we're not just, oh, you know, it gets scary. It's fearful to go out and, and to be called by the Lord and, and, and to do something. And sometimes you have to go outside of yourself and you go, ah, oh, but well, you know, what happened if I'm made fun of or I'm persecuted or condemned or even in this situation possibly can be killed for my faith? What do I do? Realize that the God who is the chief, the God who is the boss and all sovereign in control, ultimately, he cares for you. He values you. There is a time. You will have a time and I will have a time. But it won't happen until God says it happens. He will protect you. will care for you until that time comes. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. Again, the whole context, don't be afraid. We know that there's reason to be afraid in the, in the human natural way of seeing things. But God, who is above that, he's supernatural. He's there. He will protect. He will give you provision. He will give you guidance. Don't be afraid. Because you are truly worth more than many sparrows. So are we afraid? I would say possibly. But really, no. We shouldn't be. No way. Because we're serving God. So let's do this job. Whatever it is that God has. And of course, we're trying to apply this to our own lives. I mean, this is the. I put my mind into these disciples and how they might have felt, you know. And, and wow, Jesus, only a few of us. We've got 12, and we're going to go through all over, you know, this area, you know, and tell these people about Jesus. And man, I'm really quite scared. I mean, they're already calling us Beelzebub. <laughs> you know, I'm really scared. But the reality is, Jesus says, we understand. But if you're going to cower, the message won't get out. He chose these 12. And they're not perfect. He chose these 12. Sins and all. Mistakes and all. Shortcomings and all. Because he trusted that they would have that important element. And that's just faith. Total trust. He will deal with all the rest. And that's where the spirit of God comes in. And then gives us the strength and the power and the skills and the talents or whatever it is that we need. The abilities. We call it spiritual giftedness. Right? The abilities to do what we need to do. But it starts with us just... And he saw these 12. There's a lot of people that followed Jesus around. Remember the multitude that was described that followed Jesus around. But he saw these 12 people and he saw in their hearts and he saw these people have faith. Except for Judas. You know, I don't know why he let him go, but to fulfill prophecy, I guess. But regardless, Judas was still amongst them initially. And so he said, you 12, go. Go, go, go. Have faith. Do the work that I've called you to do. And so I think one of the part elements is to realize, and this is why Jesus is telling this, that you're valuable to God. Don't go out thinking that God's forgotten about you. Don't go out and do that mission, do that job thinking while you're in the midst of it that God's forgotten about you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's there with you every moment. So in the court, so this is again a court situation, you know, when you have uh, these disciples and they're being accused of being Beelzebub or whatever, you know, the accusation might be being heretics being false prophets, you know, how do you plead? You know, I think of how, you know, for instance, you know, uh, 
Peter who denied Jesus three times and how it tore him up. It tore him up. And I love how Jesus was graceful about it because you're going to deny me three times. But then he also forgave him. But the reality is ultimately who do we acknowledge? This is, to acknowledge is also means to, well, I put the word here in Greek, you know. It comes from the word homo, which means one or same, plus logos, which means words. Okay? Homo legeo. Homo logos. One same word. It's to agree, to acknowledge, to confirm, to say the same thing as another, to agree with. And that's what he's saying. Disciples, you need to go up there and agree with this message. You need to agree with me. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Christ. You need to do this job. And you go out and you do it faithfully. And I will agree with you before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me, which means to reject Jesus, to deny Jesus, to deny he is the Christ, to deny he's the Messiah, to reject the message that they were called to deliver. It's a job. It's a very important responsibility. This is Jesus Christ building the kingdom of God on earth. But if you reject, if you refuse to do this job before others, then I will disown you, again, not to accept, to reject, to refuse something offered before my Father in heaven. Very serious charge this is here. And think to yourselves, you know, why would anyone you know, refuse what Christ has to offer? I mean, to be his disciple? You know, to be a disciple of, of the Messiah? <laughs> you know, the one living, you know, true God? His son, who died on the cross, who loves us, who is love personified in grace and mercy? How could we reject him? How can we refuse him? It seems so crazy. But humanity is strange, though. We are strange people. And we see around us that our culture has t- more turned away from Christ in so many ways and turned to their own hungers and desires. And, of course, we have Judas here himself, who was amongst them. And he still rejected Jesus for just a few bits of silver. Of course, it tore him apart. He couldn't deal with the guilt, and he had to you know, ultimately kill himself because he couldn't deal with his own guilt. But it is. It's silliness. It's crazy this. And as humanity, we have, are plagued by sin and plagued by the, the fallen nature of sin. But again, we, this is why faith is so important. Trusting in God. Following after God. Thick and thin. Hard times as well as easy times. Because if we rely on our own strength, we might turn out like Judas. So we need to be careful to follow God and follow Him with total faith and total trust. Remembering that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What a powerful verse that is. Romans 16, 19. You know, ultimately, that is it. The God of peace. God brings peace. God of peace. This is going to be an interesting one because here we're going to see Jesus kind of, con- well, he's going to pseudo-contradict. He doesn't contradict himself ever. But it's going to look like it, but we're going to deal with it. But here we see the God of peace who will crush Satan under your feet. Now, wow, what an encouraging verse this is. God has given us the authority, the power. Why? Because he's the chief, and he's got the authority and the power, and he's commissioned us. To kind of like a delegation. You go out and do my job for me. What an honor it is to go out and do the job. What is the job that God's told the church to do? We made it very clear in Matthew 28, 29, whatever, 28, yeah, 19. Go out and make disciples. Go out and preach the gospel and baptizing people, immersing them in, in God's, right? That very job of making disciples, of telling people about Jesus is us basically doing the job of crushing Satan under our feet. Because we shame the devil every time somebody comes to know Jesus. 
So it's an important job. The shame that I love that word. So, the next section. We should do this in the next 10 minutes, no bother. In our culture, we've got a mis- different misconceptions of what Jesus might be like. You know, he's an easy peasy, you know, kind of laid back kind of surfer dude, you know, with long, you know, blonde hair and, you know, gorgeous blue eyes. But would your Jesus say, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. Don't think I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but division. Would your Jesus say something like that? What did your Jesus say? Let's find out. Did Jesus bring division? I thought he came to bring peace. Didn't that last slide say that the God of peace? Hmm, interesting. Well, let's see what he means, what's, what's, said, what's meant by this verse as we go on. And this is a hard saying of Jesus. Not so hard, but it's kind of hard saying of Jesus. And he's speaking of a different kind of peace. Jesus, when he talked about peace, like, like for instance, the angel Gabriel, he came and he said, this is the, the, the prince of peace. He talked about Jesus coming to bring peace to the world, right? He's talking about the big picture. Jesus has come to fix the world. But when you go to fix something, sometimes you have to kind of rattle some cages. You have to do some invasive surgery. And speaking of which, on Friday, I had that under my tooth. It was horrible. It, a little, she goes, oh, you got a small cavity in your, in your, in your back of your teeth. And I go... Uh, no big deal, small cavity, big deal, you know. But it was in the wisdom tooth all the way in the back. And, and she spent 40 minutes just, and I'm like, this hurts. It self hurts. I can't wait for it to feel better. I'm better off with a cavity than fixed. But ultimately, the dentist would know that it takes some pain to get to the place where your teeth are healthy and strong and will last you a good, life, good long time. The point I make here is this. Jesus had a very, Jesus has a job, he has a mission. And this mission is going to have resistance, as we've already seen in context. He says, you're going to go out and give the gospel, you're going to be resisted. I was resisted, you're going to be resisted. And this resistance is the division that we're seeing here that he's going to talk about when he says in Matthew 10, 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Ultimately, God's going to bring peace. Things are going to be settled. God, but, but this place we're in right now is a place of great tension. Think about it. How many people do you know in your life, if you mention Jesus, will walk out on you? If you tell, I mean, have you been, do you have family members who know you're a Christian and think you're kind of freaky for it? Do you have friends that think you're nuts because you believe in this thing called faith in Jesus Christ? That's what he's talking about here. And that's why he says, I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Truly sad verses here, isn't it? Anyone who loves her father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves her son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Basically, he's saying this, Jesus must come first. Jesus must come first. There's a lot of people in Jesus' culture, obviously, because he's saying it here in his time, but even in our culture today, where they say, ah, I would do Jesus, but you know, I've got other things. And these are very valid things, because these are people who we're supposed to love and care for, our family, right? And so we see these verses, and we ask ourselves, how can the most meek and gentle person in history, the one who's supposed to bring peace, how can he cause this kind of vision amongst people who are supposed to be the ones we love? It does seem a bit of a problem. But like we've already kind of hinted upon, 
and we're, we're going to keep on talking about is Jesus is building a kingdom here. And this kingdom is going to be a kingdom of peace, eternal and peaceful. Okay, and his kingdom is a kingdom of, that, like I said, this is here on top, it, it is eternal. And it will bring peace. But he also said in other verses to kind of inform the, the, the dilemma, the problem that we have, the problem that Jesus had and his disciples had here, and the problem that Jesus and his disciples have even today is this. First of all, Matthew 12, 25, he says, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A kingdom that's divided is doomed. So his kingdom followers, that's you and me and others around the world from Jesus' time to on and so on and so forth, we need to be united. We need to be united. Okay? Also, he says in Matthew 25 or 12, 30, going on, this is in context, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Now, these verses are hard to swallow in our culture. People in our culture, because of the liberal culture, which we'll deal with in just a moment, rejects ideas like this about what? If I resist Jesus, if if I don't agree with everything he says, that means I'm actually against him? Why does it have to be? Isn't there no gray area there? According to Jesus, no, there is no gray area there. If you're not in his kingdom and, and united with him, recognizing he is the chief, he's the Lord, he's the boss, and what he says is actually what unites us. What unites the church? What unites Christianity? It's what Jesus says and does. That's why we read the word. If churches start to water down their, this, this belief, this idea, what happens, they stop looking at the Bible, they stop opening the Bible, they stop reading the Bible, and this becomes ineffective. But when we read the Bible, what we're reading is is, is charges, basically. It, it, it's our information on how to live according to God's kingdom. This is his rule book. This is his guide for our lives according to his kingdom that he is setting out, that he's constructing in this world. He's the chief, he's the boss. We need to agree with it. And that's basically what he's saying here. You have to, to submit. When we call Jesus Lord, it's not just a fancy word. It means something. He's the Lord. He's the chief. He's the boss. And we need to follow what he says. And to, to kind of wrap this up, in John 14, 6, he says, um, Jesus, again, speaking here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Again, really hard verse for our culture. Our culture is so against this. And I've labeled here in that little paragraph why our culture is against this. First of all, to say he is the way. This is a pluralistic society which promotes many different ways, right? There's many different ways to God. There's many different ways to happiness. Or you can't tell me there's just one way to know God or have this true inner goodness, this daikusune. So that goes against our culture. And you and I all know this. Jesus also says, I'm the truth, or he is the objective truth. This society, again, rejects his objective truth. There is no such thing as objective truth. There's just subjective truth, which means your opinions. And all we have is our opinions and our thoughts and beliefs about things. But to say that, that Jesus is actually really the truth, uh, our culture doesn't like that. I don't, and I think Jesus' culture was that, as well, was that way as well. That's why he's telling his disciples these things. He also says that he is the life. He is a life. Again, in this society, which is also liberal, Liberal means freedom of choice, basically. When you think of a liberal society, it means a society that promotes choice, okay? In this liberal society, who says that life is found in choices, you take away our choices, you take away our lives. 
Does that make sense? They value life. Life is, your life is based upon a series of choices. And to take away choices is to take away your life. But when you say Jesus, he goes, but I am the way, what you're doing is you're taking away choices. Do you see well, the problem we have here as a church in the 21st century? And frankly, it's not new because Jesus obviously had the same problem with his disciples as well. People don't want to be taken away. They don't want to be told that what they believe in and what they're doing is, 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 is damnful, is, is wrong, is erroneous. And then here's the option. Here's the right choice. is Jesus. People don't want to be told that because they're stubborn and they're prideful. <laughs> they want to have their liberal kind of perspectives. So basically, the problem that we have here, the reason why there's a division, a conflict, is because Jesus doesn't fit into our broken society. That's the bottom line. His holy kingdom will not bend to our fallen world. Because it's perfect. It's holy. It doesn't need to be changed. If it changes, it will no longer be perfect, but it will be something less than perfect. We are the ones who need to repent and change. And that is exactly the message that John brought. That's exactly the message that Jesus brought. Repentance. Change. Our society needs to change for Jesus. Jesus doesn't change for our society. His kingdom doesn't bend for us. We need to bend for him. And so this message, <laughs> delivering this message, as you can imagine and see, is not going to make you popular. That's why they're being condemned and called Beelzebub and freaks and weirdos and Bible bashers or whatever else, right? You know, if you're saved and you come from a family that doesn't believe in Jesus, which I know some of us here, you probably will be familiar then what Jesus is talking about, about this division in the home life and how it can affect you. Okay, next one. And again, a servant is not more than his master. He, he said that as well. Remember earlier, servants not more than his master or not greater than his master. Mark 3.20, this is this. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. But when his family heard about this, they went in to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind. So Jesus' family didn't really think he was the Messiah. Come on, Jesus, get over it. And in John 7.5, his brothers did not even believe in him. So again, is Jesus' family rejected Jesus for his mission, for, his, for who he was. We are his disciples. We will be rejected as well. Matthew 10, 38, 39, going back into Matthew 10 in our verses, it says this, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The cross is mentioned here. Now, a cross, basically, it's, 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 it's comparable to, like, the hanging gallows or a chopping block or an electric chair, lethal injection. You know, it's not a pleasant thing. Not a pleasant thing. It speaks of dying, okay? Capital punishment. And it was a, a cruel device. It, it was, it's meant to kill. And it, 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 it's not pleasant. But he says here, if you're willing to take up your cross to follow me. You're worthy, but if you do not, you're not worthy. That's kind of what's implied there, you know? Um, again, what is this we're dying to? What is this we're dying to? Um, I like how he fins, finishes his statement by saying, whoever finds her life will lose it, and whoever loses her life for my sake will find it. It's kind of funny how he words that, but just bear with me in a second. Let's look at what this means to die, to to when he talks about like this taking up the cross and what we've already spoke of first of all we spoke of pluralism right 
Are we willing to die to this idea that there are many ways? Are we willing to humble ourselves and say, no, Jesus, you are the only way to goodness, righteousness, or daikasune? Are we willing to die to our erroneous opinions, our subjectivity, our way of seeing things, which would include, there are many ways to God and other things. Are we willing to die to our liberalism? I value my ability to choose more than anything else. You can't take that away from me. That's what he's talking about here. Are you willing to die to these basic, we'll call them freedoms? They are, consider liberal freedoms. Are you willing to take up Jesus' yoke, his burden, which is light and easy? Do you believe him when he says that? Or is it just hocus pocus? That's what he's saying. He goes, now it's time to really test your faith. Do you believe that you really have all the answers and I'm just kind of, uh, uh, kind of a, a decoration to your life? Or do you really believe in me? Are you really following me? Do you really want to help me build this kingdom? Because if you do, you will have to say no to other things. You will have to deny yourself. And so are we willing to say no to ourselves? That's what he's asking. What if we got it all wrong? You know, like we think we, we, we got life figured out. But what if we have it all wrong? <laughs> it's possible because we're just human, right? What if Jesus actually knows better than we do? We do. What if we trust in Jesus, we think, we resist him, thinking, no, this is what I really want for my life. But Jesus is here going, but actually I've got something for you here. Who do you think knows better? The Son of God or you? I mean, come on. And if we were just to let go of our kind of worldly, fleshy ways and surrender to this Lord, who we call the Lord, confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you shall be saved, Romans 10, you know, that he might actually have a better way of life for us. That's basically why he says, whoever finds their life will lose it. Ah, I figured it out. Wait, well, why am I so miserable, <laughs> right? But whoever loses their life, that's it, God, I give up. Where do you want me to what do, you, what do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? What, 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 where, do you, where shall your servant be? What shall your servant do? Then you will find your life. That's why he says that. But, but the question ultimately is here, is, is how far are we willing to, to go to, to give up and to let God? Of the earth, of the angels and the saints.